You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. All right, so this morning is Pentecost Sunday, and we are going to be talking about uh, really three different passages. So usually I stick to just a couple of verses and try to focus in really hard on those couple of verses. And yet what I was hoping to do and what I am hoping to do today is to paint with a slightly broader brush so that we can get a picture of um, what it really means for God the Holy Spirit to be taking up residence with us, not just in our personal lives, okay, but what it looks like um, with all of Scripture in mind. And so, and so we saw in Acts chapter 2 what the initial response and receiving of the Holy Spirit looked like. Uh, about a month ago now, we actually read from Luke's gospel, uh, or John's gospel rather, about the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them. And so God the Holy Spirit has been working in very mysterious ways right now. Um, and also what we want to be seeing too is some of the things that are reversed when God the Holy Spirit is gifted to us and then uh, Jesus' gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit are, are played out in our lives. So it's a little bit more of an abstract week, but here's what we want to do. Much like Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be working through some bigger ideas, and then we're going to be getting to the cross. All right. So here's our big idea for this morning. The Holy Spirit is sent to reveal the truth of Jesus, give you the comfort of His peace, and bring you together with God's people. The Holy Spirit is sent to reveal the truth of Jesus, to give you the comfort of His peace, and bring you together with God's people. Now last week we talked about unity. In fact, this is what Jesus was praying for us, that we would be brought together, that we would experience uh, a completed brought-togetherness in Him. And yet, as we said last week, unity is a very difficult thing to grasp. Right? So, so if you're looking at me and you ask me a question about this thing and this thing, I'm going to give you two of my most honest answers, whatever these two things are. And you know what the truth is? These two answers might not line up, line up with one another. I'm not even unified in my own body and mind enough to have consistent answers for everything in life. In your family... You might experience this, right? Where, whether it's children or parents or whoever, whoever's the person to blame. No, whoever's involved in this thing, right? We work towards unity. And yet, there's always trouble. There's always emotional struggle. There is always a pulling away when someone's offended. And so even families that are literally born together to be united aren't. Culture groups, we look like we're together, we think a lot of the same things, we do a lot of the same things, and yet at the same time, it's only by force and threat of violence 
that we stay united even within our own culture groups. Well, you're going to act like that? Well, you're not really a part of us anymore. And then there's the fear of losing close relationships and acquaintances and even your own sense of identity when you're put out of that group. Unity is a very difficult thing to have. I'm going to take us back, way, way back, way, way back to Genesis, the book of beginnings, because this is where we want to start this morning. I left off one of our readings, and this is about, uh, you guys will know the story well, the Tower of Babel. But how did we get to Babel? A couple things led us to Babel. If you don't know what the Tower of Babel is, good. I'm going to have the children come up and they're going to teach you and it's it's going to be great. Um, No, I'm joking. I'll teach us this morning, okay? So here's the deal. What happens? Um, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they're in the garden having open relationship with God, resting and relying upon Him for their provision and for their life. And yet they say, no thanks. You know what? God, it's pretty great having such a close relationship with you. But I think I would like to know a little bit more about what it takes to be you. In fact, I think what I would like to do, God, is to not get rid of you. No, 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 no. I don't need to kill you or anything like that. But perhaps I could just have the knowledge that you have. And perhaps when I have the knowledge that you have, and then Adam and Eve find out, the knowledge that God has is the knowledge of what is holy and what is unholy. And they find themselves exposed to a sinfulness in and of themselves that they did not experience when they had open relationship and trust in who God is and what it is that He was doing with them and for them. Things got worse from there. In fact, things got so worse that at the time of a man called Noah, the Bible tells us that things were so bad That every word, thought, and deed was evil all of the time. What kind of evil are we talking about there? Sinfulness. A shortened way of talking about sinfulness. Um, It's not just missing God's mark for what is good and bad. It's it's really what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's, It's a constant looking back at yourself. It's being curved in on yourself, as St. Augustine teaches us. Um, And so what was going on during Noah's time? Everybody, every thought, word, and deed was only focused on themselves. In fact, it was so bad that God decided, I'm going to baptize that out of the world. That's the way Peter describes it to us. And what he chooses to do then is to take one family, eight people, and to restart it all. Now, You might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm so glad that God chose such a holy vessel as Noah. (laughs) But that's not what God does. (laughs) In fact, there was no holy vessel for God to choose during Noah's time. Instead, God does what He always does, and He places His mercy, His grace, His favor on someone, and He chose to do that with Noah and his seven family members. So you probably know that story. You probably have cute pictures, and I'll let you keep those cute pictures instead of the horrific flooding that followed after that. But what happens after the flood? Let's read from, or I'll read for us, from Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. 
All right, Rainbow Nation, here we go. Can you imagine this? The last time we traveled to the United States, we were in the airport, and just just picture this with me now, okay? There was a uh, a black family. There was a uh, a family that looked like they were from the Middle East, and then there was a uh, Hispanic family looked like they were probably originally from Mexico. I'm talking with the black man, uh, the father of this family. And uh, Finnegan, after I get done, pulls me down close and says, Dad, do you hear that? No, I don't hear it. It's like, everyone sounds exactly the same. And that's when I looked around and noticed, even though we all looked extraordinarily different, we all sounded exactly the same. We were all speaking American, I guess. I don't know what the situation is. Okay, um, it's hard to imagine this taking place in the world where people, every, now I'm not just talking about people in an airport in the Midwest of the United States. I'm talking about everyone understanding the same words. Okay? So Noah's family, as they grew and grew, they began to move east, and here's what happened. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, rather, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. That is really solid bricks, okay? And they had a brick, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. It's going to be strong. That's the point. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building this and they left off building the city therefore it was the its name was called babel because there the lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the lord dispersed them over the face of the earth what in the world why are we talking about babel okay what does babel mean you brother no that's not what it is um all right so this is uh there's a couple things going on in the text a couple of funny things actually so the first funny thing is the babylonian word for uh, a tower sounds like the jewish word for confusion all right so that's one of the things that's happening here the second thing that's happening here is when the book of genesis is actually being written down who is the growing power in the world Babylon is the growing power in the world. And so this is a picture of the enemies of God's people, Babylon. And this is how we get the word Babel. All right. But also, doesn't God seem a little bit vindictive here? Like he's just out to get humans. What in the world is going on? Why? Okay. We have to hear what the goal of these people actually was. They didn't want to just build a beautiful tower. They wanted something that reached up into the heavens. Did they actually think they could build a stairway to heaven? No, that's not what's going on. What's going on is they wanted to be a strong tribe, nation, people group that no one could ever challenge. 
They wanted all of their pride and authority and uh, everything to flow from their strength and their might. And not even God would be able to challenge them like He did in Noah's generation. We'll be bigger, better. All of the above. And what does God say? This won't do. They're back to the same old game that they've been up to from the beginning. So the languages get confused. The tower is abandoned and the city is abandoned and people are scattered. All right, now we're going to skip over a lot of biblical history because what do we want to get to? We want to get to why would we talk about Babel? Why would we talk about Acts chapter 2? And why do we talk about Jesus' promising to send the Holy Spirit today? All right. Well, in Acts chapter 2, I think it's pretty easy to see what we have going on there in a certain sense. We have the reversal of Babel taking place. All of this confusion and this, 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 uh, being united for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh, all of that got torn apart. And in Acts chapter 2, we have God bringing people back together, being able to understand one another. All of those languages, those tongues, as it's said here, that were divided and uh, torn apart and um, then became misunderstanding throughout the whole world. God the Holy Spirit is coming in Acts chapter 2 and doing a miraculous thing. Doing the miraculous work of allowing the good news of Jesus to be heard no matter who's speaking it on that day. It's quite literally the reversal of Babel. And so here what we see in Acts chapter 2 is God uh, bringing people together with at least understanding multiple languages, but we'll just say for the sake of, of understanding here, back together with one language. And what is that one language? That is the good news of Jesus. His death, His sacrifice on the cross for you for the forgiveness of sins. What is it that can take all of the confusion in the world? What is it that can take all of the diversity and disunity in the world and bring a people together? Acts chapter 2 has an answer for us there. It's just one thing. It's Jesus, His person and work for you on the cross. In fact, Peter tries to make that very evident to us. He quotes from Joel in the last verse there from Joel. It says, And it will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What kind of everyone? Well, not just Jewish people. Not just God's first people. We're talking about old men and young men and male servants and female servants. Um, everyone. Every strata of social group, every kind of person being brought together, sharing, if not the exact same language, a, uh, the same words in this case. And that is the words of the promise of Jesus. Uh, elsewhere, Peter goes on to say uh, that... Uh, let, me just, let me just read another portion of it here. Um, 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. So these are people coming in from all sorts of places in that area. Different cultures, different languages. And when they come for the feast time in Jerusalem at Pentecost, they're going to act their best Jewish selves. But the reality is they are scattered with a bunch of Gentile, non-Jewish, messed up world. Okay? And they are being sent now back out into that world with the good news of Jesus in their language. Not just in Hebrew, not just in Bible talk, but in their very language. They are going back out with the good news of Jesus to the places where they are from. Which brings us to our John passage this morning. I'm going to read through it again one more time. Beverly, thank you for reading on the spot this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, And we need to make a couple of clarifications as we go along, but then also we want to get down right to the core of this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. Um, We need to understand what this word keeps here means. Um, You might think that that is an obedience word. This is a word that leads to obedience, but it's not an obedience word. Commands, we're talking about law, we're talking about God's word, all right? So whoever has my word and keeps it, that is for you, if you have heard God's word, you understand it, it's yours now, you're holding on to it, you're clinging to it for dear life. This is who Jesus is talking about. So whoever has my words and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. Uh, John puts in a little comment here. Judas, but not the Judas you're thinking of. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will show yourself to us and not to the world? There's some confusion. Now, How is it that you're going to show yourself just to us, but not to everyone? How does that work? Um, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That is, he will hold on to it. Now, if we're holding on to God's word, does this have some implications for obedience? Yes, it does. It has implications on our life. But remember, remember, please, keep here is holding on to God's word. All right? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, earlier this morning, I mentioned the inspiration of scripture. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the inspiration of scripture, specifically the writing down of the gospels. Um, the first four books of our new Testament, this is God, the Holy spirit bringing to the memory of the disciples, 
what it is that Jesus said, did, and taught. But he doesn't stop there. What does this remembrance, what is the remembrance of Jesus, uh, his, his actions, his teaching, what does it do? How is that going to help us? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. God the Holy Spirit is going to come and give peace. Does this mean world peace? No. Does this mean just that easy, peaceful feeling of internal contentment? No. We're talking about a soul-keeping peace here. Knowing that Christ is your Savior and that you are safe and secure in Him. That's the kind of peace. We're talking about peace with God. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you will believe. I will no longer talk much to you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Alright, so you might know, maybe you don't know, but this is all happening in what's called the upper room. In John's Gospel, we have several chapters. Our chapter from last two weeks um, have also taken place in the upper room. It's really Jesus' last time of teaching and preaching to His disciples. And He's now encouraging them to get up and they're going to go from this place. But... Um, here specifically, what Jesus is talking about, He's talking about the fact that He is going to go. He's going to go to the cross, and then He's going to be back with them for a little while, and then He's going to go again. Um, and when He goes again, He is going to send the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to give peace. Now, if we compare that to Acts chapter 2, what in the world is Jesus talking about? <laughs> right? I mean... This doesn't seem very peaceful, what's happening in Acts chapter 2. You've got people accusing other people of being drunk. You have multiple languages being spoken, and yet everyone understanding and hearing one thing. This doesn't seem peaceful at all. This doesn't at all seem like um, even what Joel is talking about when Peter's quoting him. Is, there, is the sun turning red? What is happening here? Well, it's, it is very complex, and it is very hard to understand. But what we need to hear uh, here on Pentecost Sunday is just a couple of things. The first of which is the Holy Spirit is coming to bring remembrance and to bring peace. And so we have this uh, wonderful privilege that we hold in our hands, God's Word. And not only do we have it in book form, but we have it in song form. And we have it in, in memorized form. And we have it... Uh, you know, bleeding into our prayers and flowing out of our prayers too. And this is all the work of God the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, in the life of the church over the last 2,000 years since this day of Pentecost. Where God is constantly bringing to remembrance what it is that Jesus did for you on the cross. And when God the Holy Spirit does that for you, He is bringing you to a place 
of peace with God. Reminding you that there is no more struggle, striving, work that needs to be done in order for you to be in God's presence, um, to be saved, to be secure, to be made right and righteous, or to receive all of God's good gifts. God the Holy Spirit is going to do that for you. You can be at peace. Also here, what we see happening both in John, Acts chapter 2, and then the reversal of Genesis 11, is God bringing all peoples to Himself. This was the beauty of what's happening here on Pentecost. Uh, Originally, Pentecost was a very closed, tight-knit circle. And in that closed, tight-knit circle, if you did not know Hebrew or were not a Hebrew by birth, you were not going to be welcomed in to celebrating all of God's good blessings of the harvest, all of His good gifts and provisions that He has given to His people. But here in Acts chapter 2 and the promise of it in John chapter 14, you and me are welcomed in to experience all of God's good provision through the power of His Holy Spirit and all of God's good gifts. Primarily, what are we talking about this morning? Those gifts of peace and of comfort. And, like we've spoken about the two previous weeks, the brought togetherness that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we were going through our lessons in the Apostles' Creed, um, we talked about uh, this this word sanctification. And um, you can look at that in a very personal sense, um, although I would encourage you to broaden it just a little bit. When we talk about sanctification, right, we we confess together this morning, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the the Holy Catholic Church, that's the the universal church of God, right? Um, The everywhere church of God we're talking about. Uh, when we are talking about sanctification, we are talking about all of the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life. We're not just talking about some embetterment project. We're not just talking about uh, building a tower of your own spirituality to be reaching to God. We're actually talking about every single thing that God the Holy Spirit does to bless you with His peace and with His comfort. Um, which includes all of those things that we confess together in the Apostles' Creed. The church, the forgiveness of sins, so on and so forth. And so this morning, um, what's our big idea? The Holy Spirit is sent to reveal the truth of Jesus. We see this happening. This is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. It's what He told us last week. And it's exactly what God the Holy Spirit does in Acts chapter 2. Gets us to the place to where everyone's saying, wait a second, you've just told us that we killed our Savior. What in the world are we supposed to do now? And Peter lays it out there. Repent, believe, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a good gospel sermon right there. It's a short one, it's a quick one. Much shorter than the one I'm preaching right now. Good job, Peter. Um, So, what's our big idea today? The Holy Spirit is sent to reveal the truth of Jesus, give you the comfort of His peace, 
and bring you together with God's people. Right now, over the next couple of minutes, um, we're actually going to be utilizing one of the, for lack of better terms, uh, good tools that God the Holy Spirit uses to do that work of uniting us together, of once again offering to us uh, the comfort and peace that we have in Christ and clearly showing us who it is that Christ is for you. John tells us in the first chapter of his gospel that Jesus is the very Word of God. And uh, we want to have Jesus flowing in and out of every aspect of our service. And more specifically, the good news of what it is that He did for you on the cross. And so this morning, um, when we are thinking about this meal in terms of how it is that God the Holy Spirit works in our lives, uh, I want to focus in just real briefly on this idea, uh, on, on not these ideas, they're realities of, of peace uh, and then the truth that's delivered to us in this meal. So each and every time that we get to take part in this meal, uh, we are uh, eating and drinking with the knowledge that Jesus' body is broken for you offering a proper sacrifice to Christ on your behalf and that His blood covers over each and every one of your sins. But not only that, that's just the merciful part about what it is that God has done for us. Um, There's also the grace side or the giving of good undeserved gifts to you. And... um, in that we get to not only experience knowledge that we're safe and saved, which is good, beautiful, but we get to experience the the continual peace of knowing that God has gifted that to us and He doesn't take it away from us because of things that we do or do not do. Instead, through the power of His Spirit and by His Word, He is constantly working to bring us back to Himself and to... uh, create faith in us all of the time and bringing us to a place of repentance. That is, turning away from ourselves and turning to Christ and who He is for us. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.